0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in to me today. Important new research has come out from the field of neuroscience in determining that our thoughts are actually creating our brain. Now, I know that you might think that. Our brain is creating the thoughts. However, our special guest today, one of the leading neuroscientists in the world is going to help us to really have some inner investigation to understand how this really miraculous dance takes place with our mind and our brain. And she's going to break down how our mind is really creating our brains, how our mind is creating and generating our thoughts. And also we're gonna talk about some of the latest research determining how negative thinking can actually create negative alterations in our brain, even leading to brain damage. Now, of course, this should make a little bit of sense right off the bat because all of our thoughts create correlating chemistry in our bodies. This is how we feel, the things that we feel It's based on our thoughts, can instantly change our biochemistry in a heartbeat. Now, the power of that thought, the power of that emotion, of course, is gonna have cascading events and determine the level of impact that it has but every thought that we have impacts every single cell in our bodies now here's the good news we have the ability to think the thoughts that we want to think we have agency over our thinking now of course popular culture has led us to believe otherwise that our thoughts just happen Or that we're just thinking in response to the world around us, but we have the ability to think independently of what's happening in the external world. And so today's episode is also going to direct us to that inner power and that inner authority, which is more important than ever because truly mental health and brain management is coming from a place of mind management. And again, we have on leading authority in the world on this subject matter. So I'm very, very excited about this. Now, as we're thinking on the mechanistic side, the outcomes of thoughts and the neurochemistry involved for our brain cells to start to create new connections, the synaptic connections and the dendrites and the axon terminals and all this integration that takes place when we are having thoughts, especially habitual thoughts, for that data to transfer over from one neuron to another, it's based on electricity. There's an electrical currency. Exchange is taking place. Now, there are certain nutrients that enable this electrical conduction to take place, signal transduction. And these are minerals that carry an electric charge, namely what we put in this category of electrolytes. It's got electric and lights in it. <laughs> but electrolytes are these catalysts that enable the body to do just about everything that it does. This sodium potassium pump mechanism that is kind of a precursor just to have activities function in our bodies, but also the critical role of electrolytes like magnesium when it comes to supporting our brain health. A 2016 study reported that magnesium is able to reduce the activity of your sympathetic fight or flight nervous system and turn on the activity of your parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system, helping to calm down the body calm down the brain. Another study published in Pharmacological Reports states that magnesium is able to interact with the inhibitory GABA receptors that can help to induce anti-anxiety effects. And what about sodium if we're talking about that sodium-potassium pump? Well, researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a, quote, on-off switch in the brain for specific neurotransmitters that support optimal function and protect our brain against numerous diseases. This is in no way something to ignore or to think light of. We really need to shine the spotlight. All right, that's enough with the lights, all right? We're gonna turn the lights on on this conversation and make sure that our brains are well lit. I couldn't stop myself to really bring light to the fact that electrolytes, man, that's a lot of lights are so critical to the form and function of the human brain. And also all of our biology truly it's so important. Now, obviously you want to get electrolytes from real whole foods. However, today there is a serious issue with soil degradation and the amount of electrolytes that are accessible in even organic foods. This is definitely a place and you'll often find this with your biology working better and your brain working better. When you access higher quality electrolytes in a concentrated form. For me, I use LMNT, Element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model, and you get access to the very best electrolyte formulation that has used hundreds of thousands of data points to have the right ratios of the most critical electrolytes to cognitive performance, And also just the performance of our biology overall. And here's the key. This is without the nefarious addition of sugar, which is added to so many different electrolyte formulations It's not necessary. And also sugar has the opposite effect oftentimes with our neurological function. All right. So this is what separates element in one domain and also their data points and also the value that they deliver. All right. Again, no artificial colors, no sugar added, none of the nonsense, just the high quality electrolytes that our bodies thrive on. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and you get a special bonus gift with every purchase. They're gonna send you a bonus sample pack so you could try all the different electrolytes that they have, all right? So head over there, check them out, take advantage of this free gift. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model, Right now, get yourself charged up. And on that note, let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Growth by Joe Hermerding. Sean Stevenson's podcast has triggered tons of growth in my life, not just with nutrition and exercise, but also intellectually and emotionally. When I listen, it accelerates my growth. I would recommend it to anyone who loves to grow. Wow, that's what it's all about. Thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she's a neuroscientist and communication pathologist, the author of several bestselling books, including Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and her most recent book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. She's been featured in every major media outlet that you can name. And also a little fun fact, her book is actually one of the staples here at The Model Health Show Studios, it's one of the books that I keep on my bookshelf. She's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite teachers, and make sure to stay tuned for after the interview for some bonus information and empowerment as well. Now let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Caroline Leaf, welcome back to the Model Health Show, but first time in person here in LA with me.
1: Oh, thank you, Sean. It's so nice. Like, it's so much nicer in person than on Zoom. Those Zooms are just, 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 don't do it, do they?
0: <laughs> yeah, they should even change the name, Zoom. I think so. What is that supposed to mean? Fast. I know. Really I don't know. Slower. It's, it's, it's a really slower slow. Connection. It's just the whole. Yeah. Just yeah. to
1: be with a person is so much better. Yeah, I love that's it. the Zoom. Exactly.
0: So I want to start off by asking you an important question, and a lot of people have been asking about this since you've been on the show. Like when I'm out doing interviews. Other places people yeah. ask about this distinction. So I want to ask you about a lot of people believe that the mind and the brain are synonymous, but there's actually a difference. Can you talk about that? Oh
1: absolutely. So I've got a model brain here mm-hmm. for the model brain, model Sean show, model brain show. <laughs> <laughs> so the brain is of physical component and If we think of it this way, if you had someone dead sitting here with us now, their brain wouldn't be doing anything. And this is quite significant if you think of that and you sort of think, well, what has that got to do with mind and brain? But your brain can't do anything without you being alive. So if you think what is the thing that actually makes a brain do something, it's the fact that you're alive. So that's what the mind is. So it's it's a different way of looking at the mind. The mind is your aliveness. And being alive, we're able to have this conversation. We're able to have a relationship. We're able to talk about things and explore things. You can, you know, life happens. You show up in life. So your mind is actually using the brain and the body. So it's a mind-brain-body connection to enable us to function. So as we're sitting here now, we are making, between the two of us each, actually, making somewhere between 800 and a million cells every second, literally. And if you're dead, you couldn't do it. So what's making you make those cells and what's making your heart beat and what makes the blood flow through your veins? It's your mind making the brain work. Mm. So the brain really is just the physical substance. It's a very complex organ. We don't know that much about it. We know a fair amount, but not that much. But the mind is is actually the most obvious kind of thing because it's our aliveness. And people often say that consciousness is the hard question of science. But consciousness is one aspect of three parts that the mind has. It's only one part of mind. It's the smallest part of mind. And is it that difficult to understand? Because both of us are consciously aware of being awake. Those people that are watching and listening now, they're consciously aware of watching and listening and being awake. So consciousness and the rest of the elements of mind which we can dive into are the most obvious it's, it's not the hard question of science. I would say it's the most obvious question of science because the product is sitting right in front of you, you, alive, functioning in life. So does that kind of make that distinction?
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to ask a very rote and maybe a little bit simplistic question, but Go ahead. where is the mind then? So that's
1: what is an excellent question. So we have what we call the biofield and that's really just your gravitational field that is around you. We're not floating at the moment because of gravity. So we have gravity we, we can't see gravity, but we can see the product of gravity, which is us sitting and things not floating. So we don't see mind, but we see the product of mind, us communicating, you responding, you make you know, you thinking of your questions, me thinking of my answers, as you you have a, a family, I have a family, you that's all are the evidence of mind. So the mind, in if we had to use science to explain the mind, you, we could measure it with gravitational fields. So what we have found is that each of us has our own unique gravitational field that is unique to you to you as a person, and it's not just around you, but it's in you. How far out it goes, we're not absolutely sure, but there's an electromagnetic field as well that works with the gravitational field, and that's what we pick up inside the breath, the blood flow, the the cells. The heart, the lungs, everything about the, the lifeness of us is being driven by these electromagnetic fields and gravitational fields and energy fields, which we would call quantum. So you can use quantum physics, classical physics to explain this energy force. So when someone dies, we weigh a little bit less. It's just under two pounds less when we, something like that, when we die. So there's something that moves out and then the body starts immediately disintegrating. The The instant someone starts is basically that life is gone. Um, that's so. That, that's that the body starts to disintegrate and the brain. So mind is your life. It's this life force. You know, there's so many philosophical and spiritual routes we can go down, but it's super interesting to you know to explore that as well. So that's kind of does that make does that make of sense? Of course.
0: I mean, the thing is that we tend to be very seduced by what we can see, and that's so the limit me. of our kind of human awareness where we are right now, because. Yeah. For years, I I mean, one of the most fascinating things that I saw, there's so much more research being done about the heart brain as well. So all this electromagnetic
1: connection uh,
0: connection going on with the heart, the neurons found in the heart, but this tube torus, right, this kind of field that expands even from the human heart as well. There's so much more to us that we can't see with our certain spectrum of vision, but we're so much more expansive. And so to consolidate things and say that it's all springing from the brain itself, is kind of a limited thinking
1: it's it is so limited because surely if we had to come back to the dead analogy if we had a dead person sitting here now and let's say that we had that dead person's brain in our hand kind of a gross analogy but i mean it does kind of catch your attention we could stare at that brain all day long and it would never produce a thought it would never produce an action it would not be able to make that body that it's attached to if it was still inside the body do anything if you did so the fact that our that we can put technology on a brain, and see a response, is exactly that. It's a response. It's not the genera. It's it that the brain is generating. It's the brain is responding right. to an energy field that is coming into the brain, and it's changing the structure of the brain. It's changing all the energy fields of the brain, the neurochemicals of the brain, etc. Which then instruct the body, and that's really what mind is doing. It's driving that force. So the brain can do absolutely nothing without the mind. And the mind needs the brain; otherwise, what's the mind? It's got to have some sort of solid thing to settle into, and that's where the the, the you know the brain and the body fulfill that be, that role, if you want to put it that way.
0: You said that consciousness is only one third of this equation. Yes. So, what are the other two thirds?
1: Okay, so consciousness is one of the smallest thirds. So it's 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 actually not even a third. It's around about. You know, if we we estimate it somewhere between 1%, maybe 5%, at an absolute push, 10%. But from the research I've done and looking at my colleagues in the field, it's about 1% of, of, of who we are. The conscious mind is only awake when we're awake, and it operates quite slowly. It operates at about 2,000 actions per second. And the, then you've got the non-conscious in O.N., I know with my accent sometimes people don't quite get that. So non conscious. I'm not saying unconscious. I'm saying non-conscious, non conscious, N O N. And the non conscious mind, that is the biggest part of us. That's pretty much hundred percent of who we are. And the it's it's literally the conscious mind is 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 linked to it, but it's only about one one to five of who we are so the non-conscious mind operates 24 7 it's infinite in its in its speed and capacity it is constantly um enabling us to actually function moment by moment in life it's aware of everything going on around us mm-hmm. and it's processing everything so that we can actually function that we can sit that we can avoid falling in the middle of the road in traffic that we can help reach out and drink a glass of water that we're aware of being in a studio it's your non-conscious mind that is taking in literally 100 percent of the signals in the environment including what people are thinking feeling all of that's generating an energy and your non-conscious mind's taking that in your conscious mind is deliberately and intentionally focusing on certain things and those certain things are within our limited capacity that we can consciously focus on. But the non-conscious mind is taking in pretty much everything in our environment. So some of the stuff in our environment is going to be not so great, and that can affect us, but we can come back to that. So the third part of mind then is the subconscious. And the subconscious is a portal, like a doorway between, or a bridge. I think a portal is a better explanation, between the conscious and the non-conscious. So I think of the non-conscious, one way of visualizing this is to think of the non-conscious as an enormously infinite forest filled with trees and the the subconscious almost is like this dome, this sort of, imagine a sort of dome. And a, when, you know those movies that you see where there's this hole opening up in the atmosphere? That's kind of a nice visual for the subconscious. And then the conscious is, you know, this may be one of the trees moving through the, this this portal opening up and then the, the, the tree kind of floating through that into our conscious mind. So that's, if you can visualize that, and then the conscious mind being small, then this portal sort of being a, a hole, and then this infinite non unconscious and it's the non-conscious mind that works 24-7. So it's helping us to build our life experiences into the brain and body and mind while we're awake and every experience, every like this conversation and what happens from here and going... Like we going from here to the airport and flying and you going from here to your family. But all of these experiences are experiences that we're having and our mind processes that into our, the, the all, part, all the parts of the mind work together to process that into the brain, body and mind in three places. And then that impacts how we function. Then you get the unconscious and the unconscious is not a state of, it's not a mind, part of mind, it's a state. So it's sleep. And it's if you knocked out by a baseball bat or something, or if you're under anesthetic, something like that. That's the unconscious. So we literally get unconscious versus we are in conscious, non-conscious, and subconscious. So non-conscious is operating 24-7. The subconscious and the conscious is operating only when we're awake.
0: So fascinating. This this is so exciting to, to hear this and to talk about this because we just to hear that our unconscious mind is taking it's limitless it's taking yeah. in every single thing everything and if you even just take a moment right now you can start to play a game and isolate and and start to pay attention to some of these things that are getting picked up that you have filtered out it's not part of your conscious and this reminds me the reason that this is so kind of tangible is at my wife's birthday party we had a magician and he did a little bit of hypnosis right and yeah. so i've seen this Occurrence where you know you have picked up something in your environment, but you're not aware of
1: it. Exactly.
0: Until you're under that hypnotic state, yeah. And then you can kind of retrieve this thing that the magician intended you or the hypnosis intended you to kind of pick up or identify. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating that we are just recording everything like that. But there are some people who have the capacity to recall all this stuff, right? So those are the people who have that. Really, it's beyond photographic memory. You, you know, Jim quick, right?
1: Yes, I do. I just interviewed him today. We did a live together today. He was speaking at the did. biohacking conference. Of yeah. course you did. Yeah. But
0: somebody that he had introduced to me many years ago, and she was a TV star. Yeah. And she could recall stuff from like specific dates, like 40 years ago, you know, it's so fascinating, but we, we have this capacity to kind of dial in and, but we are just not trained and that's what's yeah. so great about your work is like, you're giving us an inroads into how all this stuff works.
1: Exactly. You summarized that so nicely and I like the dial in because dial in because it literally is us with our conscious mind which is limited and slow but it's got Vita power. Being limited in time and slower doesn't mean it's not powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And also all three of parts of mind are serving an important role. So when you di- talk about the concept of dialing in, we are dialing into what? We're di- dialing into the messages coming from the non-conscious through the subconscious. And that's what's really fascinating because your non-conscious, as you, as you reiterated what I was saying earlier on, is that our non-conscious is taking in everything around us. And not everything and I mentioned this is not is great for us. There's certain maybe political views or things that happen or comments that people make or just bad stuff going on around us that we are taking in and it's impacting how we function because everything that we take in is building into the physical brain and the body. So if it's toxic, it's actually creating a damaging state. It it can damage, it it can increase things like autophagy and it can influence the proteins, the way the proteins fold in the cells and it can influence the functionality of the cells and it changes the brain structure. But fortunately, there's a protective mechanism in place. So not only is the non-conscious mind taking in everything and actually in kind of in charge of of this building process we are um we are it also searches so it's also it's forming. We have, it's our deep wisdom. It's searching to find anything that's potentially toxic, like this little wiry tree that I've got here. So let's say we do have some sort of an experience that or we're reading the news and we're not really processing it, but it's going in. Or things are going on around us in our environments, which is you know, contextually things are going around on us, around us all the time. Your non-conscious will search for those, and when it searches for those, then basically what it does is it searches for those to find them to root them out, because the more we keep of those, so think of this huge forest forest and in it's mainly green trees with healthy thoughts I've got a little um, do we have let's take these flowers for the healthy thought Um, would look like those flowers and then that would be the toxic thought the majority hopefully of most people's minds is filled with the healthy thoughts but we do have toxic experiences it's inevitable you're going to have toxic experiences big small whatever Um, but it depends on the person's lifestyles and Like someone in a war zone is going to have more. In Ukraine at the moment, they're having 100% of toxic issues happening all the time. The point being is that your non-conscious is looking for these and looking for the ones that are blocking your peace, which will then block your cognitive wisdom, your clarity of mind, your decision-making, your physical and mental health, your brain health. And it sends those, finds the ones that are the most disruptive and sends those through the portal and, and sends those as thoughts. And thoughts look like trees, and they send them through the portal into the conscious mind and sends them with a bunch of signals. So they don't just come through and disappear. They come through with a lot of noise. And the noise that they come through with are emotions and what we're saying and doing, our behaviors, and how we feel in our body and our perspectives. And so those are the signals. So when we talk about dialing in, if we dial into those what I call warning signals, we then going to find the thought that they're attached to, and that thoughts come from the unconscious in a protective manner, and if we then pay attention to that, we can then go and deconstruct and reconstruct that thought into something that is manageable, because our stories happen to us, we can't change what's happened, but we can change what they look like inside of us, but if we don't dial in, those thoughts are still there. They go up into the conscious mind. We can always suppress them. They go back stronger than before because each burst through the portal creates another energy flow added. So Mm -hmm. it goes back even stronger than before. And these are not programs. These are very intelligent thoughts that are dynamic and alive. You're intelligent. You're not a pre-programmed being. There's there's no... um, there's a lot of teaching around the subconscious being this um being this sort of pre-programmed lots of boxes or filing Factory cabinets setting. or settings yeah or, or like tape recordings i don't know these different verbal in you know, ways that people have used to explain it but it's way more than that it is every experience is a dynamic very intelligent concept thing that's happened it's a thought that looks like a tree so if you look at this tree shape this toxic one there's roots which is the origin there's a tree trunk which is the processing and there's the branches which is our unique interpretation and that is a living dynamic thing that is driving your functioning so if you if you the non-conscious finds those and if you don't pay attention to the warning signals that they are coming up and that are coming up with them those things will drive you in the wrong direction drive you crazy i mean those are the things that are that are um frustrating us and lead to levels of trauma and levels of um battling with depression, anxiety, this kind of stuff. But if we pay attention to them, if we embrace them and process them and reconceptualize them, we reduce the size, we take the energy away, they just become something little and the, the healthier way of thinking takes over. Does that make sense?
0: Of course. It's kind of
1: complicated stuff, but yeah. when you think about it, it's not that complicated.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is so fascinating. We, the most beautiful part is that we have the ability to kind of, I'm thinking of like Mr. Miyagi. Yes. And be able to, to kind of trim these branches or even more so get down and kind of deconstruct and reconstruct like That's you said thing, yeah. and create the mental outcome, the brain outcome as well. Because the brain is a manifestation of the mind that we want. We can consciously do this, but if we are not aware of this, we're going to kind of be at the effect. And I love this. This is something that I've never heard before. I never heard you say is that this what can seem like a negativity bias if we were conscious of it yeah. is this wisdom this inner wisdom where our, where our where our mind is seeking out things that are toxic in order to protect us
1: exactly you got it that's exactly because we in the inner day in an age where we are literally taught to be suspicious of our emotions and in being suspicious of our emotions they they are allocated a category either they're good or they're bad and if they're bad there's something wrong with you your brain your chemicals your genes there's something wrong with you as an individual and therefore you need to they symptoms of an illness that you need to suppress and that model has taken away people's ability to be human literally and process through the emotions of life which we have to it's all part of repairing and growing but if you remove that from people. It creates a lot of dangerous trauma inside the brain and the body that no kind of supplement or great diet or whatever is going to actually fix. It's your mind that's got to drive the process, and then those other things come alongside and support. Because you have to, obviously, as you, you so, you, as you so clearly explain with your work, you know, the diet is so important. But if you don't have your mind right, you can lose eighty-six percent of the good advice that you're giving someone in terms of what they're eating. You know, and most people don't realize that 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 nutritional ability of your body to absorb nutrition is coming from the way that your mind is working. So we have to monitor and manage our mind, which is what I talk about, mind management.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I just want to throw this out there: the person with the superior autobiographic Memory that I mentioned before is Mary Lou Henner. So she was an okay. actress back in the day.
1: I remember that vaguely. I've read about that. So they, that's an exception. They, they used to call that kind of situation a terrible name. I'm sure you remember it, Idiot Savant, which is just like, <laughs> is. and it was used for a whole category of people that would do these really like different things, you know, that yeah. they would have good call all kinds of stuff. So there's, there's all different ways. Some, some people do definitely can. Have maybe a bigger portal that they can actually access stuff quicker and remember just the way that they, their non conscious mind stores memories, et cetera. So we, and, and people also can train themselves to remember a lot more. As, Jim, as you know, with Jim Quick, I right. mean, his story of being traumatically brain injured and right. landing up being able to do what he does is, is a story of how we can train our minds and train our brain.
0: That's a new oxymoron. I didn't know idiot savant. That's a new one for me. Uh, it's, it's actually a terrible one.
1: It's an old, we used to use it way back in the sort of 80s and 90s. And I think they've dropped it now because it's quite insulting if you think of
0: it. Of course, of course. <laughs> it's well, a
1: terrible name.
0: This, this really brings us all to this point. Your data has shown that the way we use our mind is actually predictive of our success in life. Yeah. So what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think let's start with defining success, and most people will think success is being really good at your job, being financially you know, wealthy, being an influencer in our current language or lingo, um, and a lot of external stuff, but it's not. It's a sense of peace from what I understand from my research, and just looking back in ancient wisdom, You know, going back and looking at philosophy and looking at ancient texts and that kind of thing. Success is not physical stuff that's those are just the kind of add-on benefit true success is a sense of peace within you because when you have peace things are working like they should and you can deal with the ups and downs of life you don't expect to be happy all the time you're not pursuing happiness you are actually pursuing the meaning of life which is very different and happiness happens to be one of those things that comes along like um you know, maybe the nice car or something like that. But this pursuit of happiness with the positive psychology, this pursuit of constantly being like an avatar where you've got to be happy all the time. And as soon as you're not happy, you're sick. That is That philosophy, which has been growing over the last 56 years, is, and got really bad in the last 38 years, is. Dangerous, and it's created. um, For the first time in history, we have people. Well, not the first time in history. The first time in modern generations where we've had modern science and medicine that can keep people alive longer. What we have, we had an upward trend of people living longer. That's now reversed, and that was picked up. That trend started being picked up in ninety six, and it's been confirmed periodically over the years. And basically, that trend is showing that people are dying eight to twenty five years younger than they should from preventable lifestyle diseases. And I know you know a lot about this because it's really in your wheelhouse. So if that's the case, if it's preventable in its lifestyle, only five percent of diseases genetic. That means around about ninety-five percent are related to preventable lifestyle issues. So what that means is that people are getting diseases in this modern age of advanced medicine, people are dying between eight to twenty five years younger from preventable lifestyle diseases which is totally in your wheelhouse because that's what you talk about so much in terms of looking after your lifestyle and to look after your lifestyle you have to that's you managing your lifestyle what's the you mind right It's mind decisions and we've got this almost distortion around success is if i take this many supplements do this amount of workouts do this eat this way um achieve you know have these goals hustle culture whatever it may be maybe even there's the shift in the other direction we've got to have a lot of self-care there's a huge amount now we've gone from hustle culture now the next phase is make sure you have a lot of self-care and taking time off i mean you watch the social media we've watched the trends from hustle, hustle, hustle to succeed and now it's gone in the other direction. All of these are people, it's, it's humans saying something's wrong. We, we're swinging from one extreme to the next. We Balance is obviously homeostasis is the whole functioning of our body. And that's what the non-conscious mind is forever looking for, a homeostatic balance. So anything toxic upsets that balance so we have a mechanism in place in our mind brain and body to be able to generate these signals and if we pay attention hang i'm getting tremendous gut issues or you know there's a persistent pattern of of complaining or there's a persistent irritation or something like that we shouldn't be ignoring those we also shouldn't be throwing a positive affirmation on top of them and thinking okay i'll just bury them with an affirmation i'll bury them with a, a psychoactive drug which is what basically what antidepressants and psychotropic Drugs do—they're not disease; they're not disease-based. Not fixing a disease; they're basically just changing the brain so that you may temporarily feel better. But that's not the solution. the The path to success, the path to greatness, comes from processing. It doesn't come from suppressing. You know, and so that's where I see success. Is the success a successful person? In my opinion, is someone who's able to look at themselves now, how am I functioning now, and how can I improve that, and how's it impacting? me physically and mentally, because of how I function is going to impact the, me and the world, because it's not about me, it's about me in the world, but I'm going to have to put my own oxygen mask on and very quickly put on the next person's oxygen mask. So then how's me fi- affecting my loved ones and my environment and my work? And it's that monitoring process, that self-regulation, that's mind management. And in that, we then change our lifestyles. And as we change our lifestyles, we then can start changing these statistics, because we now have this 8 to 25, and what the 25 in, sureness is is frightening, that's related to people that get a diagnosis. So people that have a mental health diagnosis, and we can talk about diagnosis and how valid they actually are when it comes to mental health, they are the ones that fall into the 25-year bracket. So if you have a diagnosis, generally you'll have more than one, because it'll start with maybe I'm sad, I'm depressed, okay, you've got depression. I can't, they, they take antidepressants, they can't focus. So now they have, go back and now they have ADHD. And there's a drug attached to each. Or then they say, hey, this is not working. It's making me anxious. Okay, another diagnosis, another drug. Before you note know we we're in an era of polypharmacy and multiple diagnoses. And that's changed in the last 38 years. It's been a growth factor and it's actually made things worse. So people are living in that, under that, which is pretty much the whole, planets at the stage except for the developing countries which don't have this model um that that people are living people that are getting that kind of diagnosis they are the ones that are falling dying to 25 years younger than they should up to 25 i should say years younger than they should and then we talk about gen z it's the first generation growing up your you you've got a, your children are your daughter is how old is she
0: so i have a 26. My son is 22. And my youngest is 20. I'm sorry, 11.
1: you got three kids. I've got four adult children. Yours, you've got one young, two adult children. And they basically the Gen Z is, is your young one. And Gen Z and Gen Alpha, Gen, Gen Z is no, your, um, your two elder ones are Gen Z. Your younger one is Gen Alpha. So basically what we're seeing is Gen Alpha and Gen Z are the first generations to grow up thinking that if I'm sad, there's something wrong with my brain and drugs or medication is a normal route. And I'm not saying, I know your, child's, your children don't have that because you and I have brought our kids up differently. But if you take the average child, like if I go and speak at a school now and I speak to a group of children um, in that age group and you ask them what is... Depression. They'll tell you it's a chemical imbalance. They'll tell you that, and you'll say, "But why do you think you're depressed? Oh, because I've got a chemical imbalance. Why? Why have you got a chemical imbalance? Because I'm. How do you know? Because I'm depressed. So it's it's this this um this tautology that doesn't make sense. Whereas ten years ago, twenty years ago, I could go into school and talk about this, and I'd say, "Okay, what do you think depression is?" They'll say, "Well, I'm getting bullied at school, and my parents are going through a divorce, and um I don't want I don't I've just moved from a new school, and no one's accepting me." So they. In other words, they tell their story. So we've taken children's stories away from them. We've taken adult stories away from them because we're telling everyone, even people that have gone, all of us have just gone through COVID, through this pandemic, loneliness, etc., etc., not being able to have face-to-face meet uh, interviews like this. I mean, that has affected all of us. So people are depressed. They are more anxious. And so they should be sure. And that's not a a new disease that's growing. It's not a mental health pandemic. It is a very normal human reaction. So instead of us putting the fear of guarding to people and saying, Oh, now there's this is the next pandemic wave and our children are dying and suicides are increasing. Yes, they are, but not because there's a mental health pandemic. It's because we have a mismanagement of mind pandemic. We are not allowing people to process their emotions. We're not allowing people to have normal normal responses. The minute people have a normal response of grieving for a lost for a loved one longer than a few weeks, you, you get a diagnosis. I mean the 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 Paradox is just, I mean, the what is it, the, the the cognitive dissonance in the whole thing is crazy. Grief is now, prolonged grief disorder is now another disorder in the DSM and the ICD. It's another thing. And How does losing a loved one, you never get over losing a loved one. Time just lets you cope, but you never get over it. Time does not heal. Time just lets you cope. Now it's called a disease. Meanwhile, there's absolutely no foundation for this biological 50 years, six year search to find some and billions of dollars to find a biological base.
0: Yeah. You just said it. We're taking away the humanness. Yes. You know, just by again. And by the way, I'm put this study up for everybody to see. This was just published this year. And the title of the study is the serotonin theory of depression. It's just a systematic umbrella review of the evidence. And they're really bringing to light this theory. Like you have this chemical imbalance. And then that's so we can prescribe something to try to treat this chemical imbalance. Exactly. When in reality, our emotions, in many ways, you, you, and I, I'm so grateful because our emotions are the thing that we tend to see or tend to notice, but they're springing up from something much more deeper. And our skill set, what we're really requiring, what you're doing, is giving us the skill set to be able to process our emotions, process our mind and what's coming out. Because what it's doing still, it's a natural human response to feel anxiety about certain things or to be depressed about certain things or to take sadness and to medicalize it is is a crime. You know, totally. and I'm so grateful for your work. And also another thing and that you shared... And if I
1: may just jump in there Sean. Sure. The, the authors of that study, Joanna Moncrief and Mark Horowitz and colleagues, I know them personally. I've interviewed them on my podcast and have been following them and working with them for years. And that serotonin imbalance is... A, a, do, do you know that in... 1970, I think it's 79. They already um, had already thrown it out of the psychiatric world. In 1991, it was put into the, it was put in the psychiatric textbooks that it is a myth and it isn't the truth. Yet, 85 to 90 percent of people globally and though of of ones watching us now think that they have depression because they have a chemical imbalance. So it never was. Janine Moncrief and Mark Horowitz and colleagues from UCL, University College London took the six different ways that serotonin has been studied. From how the levels in your blood to the receptors to, um, the trans what they call the SERT gene, which removes it from the, um, from the from the blood and so on from the synapses, um, all of those studies, not one single one over seventeen years of seventeen years of studies, and thousands of people, not one was significantly conclusive that serotonin imbalance is linked in any way to depression, so. None of those studies were true, yet we have people being told that you have depression because you have a chemical imbalance, you have depression because your brain is different and that comes to things like brain scans, like spec scans and um, I use QEG in my research but QEG does not tell you if you have a brain disease because that's what, and you know, if, if there's a tumor we can pick up something, but it's simply telling you how your brain is responding. So a spec scan, an fMRI, an MRI, QEG, EEG, they are not telling you that whether you're brain is diseased or not, you can't look at those and say, that's a, that's, that's a depressed brain. That's a schizophrenic brain. Because it's not doing that. Your brain changes every moment. So it's simply showing you the response to how you are in that moment. And you can have a long moment. You can have be sad for a minute. It could be going on for weeks or months. And that, that will reflect. But that's not the cause. The cause is not in the biology. The cause is in our life circumstances. And then that changes our biology. But if you get it the wrong way around, you point fingers at the individual and you say, what's wrong with you versus what's happened to you? What's your story? And that's what we've got to shift. So, and that's and that's the other shift. It's the one that telling people that they have a chemical imbalance and all that stuff. That's what's causing people to die eight to 25 years younger. It's a complete mess.
0: We've got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Few people know that regularly drinking coffee has been shown to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. This attribute, referenced in the journal Practical Neurology, is yet another reason why intelligent coffee consumption makes the list of best neuronutritious beverages. Another study, featured in the journal Psychopharmacology, uncovered that drinking coffee has some remarkable benefits on mental performance. The researchers found that intelligent coffee intake leads to improvements in alertness improved reaction times, and enhanced performance on cognitive vigilance tasks and tasks that involve deep concentration. Now, why am I stressing intelligent coffee intake? This means acknowledging the true U-shaped curve of benefits and not going ham on caffeine. The data clearly shows that some coffee, a cup or two a day, and the accompanying caffeine is a great adjunct or improved mental performance. But going too far starts to lead to diminishing returns. So we wanna make sure that we're getting an optimal intake of coffee, and again, not going overboard. But also, coffee is best when it's not coming along with pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides. These chemical elements are clinically proven to destroy our microbiome terrain. So destroying the very microbiome that helps to regulate our metabolism, regulate our immune system, the list goes on and on. Obviously, we wanna make sure that those things are not coming along with the high quality coffee that we're trying to get these benefits from. And also, what if we can up-level the longevity and neurological benefits of the coffee by combining it with another clinically proven nutrient source? Well, that's what I do every day when I have the organic coffee combined with the dual extracted medicinal mushrooms from Four Sigmatic. And if we're talking about optimal cognitive performance and the health of our brain, the protection of our brain, there are few nutrient sources like lion's mane medicinal mushroom that pack these kind of benefits. Researchers at the University of Malaya found that lion's mane has neuroprotective effects. Literally being able to help to defend the brain against even traumatic brain injuries. It just makes the brain more healthy and robust. So again, this combination of medicinal mushrooms plus organic high quality coffee is a match made in nutrient heaven. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's dot com forward slash model to get 10% off their incredible mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos and mushroom coffees again that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model and now back to the show i i feel right now the emotion springing up for me is a little pissosity because you just shared the fact that this has been disproven
1: For for a long
0: time you know this serotonin theory and also this chemical imbalance which number also don't forget the fact that Oftentimes you're not testing the person, actually looking at their blood work or any of this stuff. It's based on a conversation. But the point and is... And you
1: can't even test for it, Sean, because sorry to interrupt you, but the studies, its not there's not a test that you do. You have to actually do research to look at right. And even then, it's simply a guesstimate because you don't really know what it's doing with all the other chemicals. But
0: then we wouldn't have this market of SSRIs.
1: Well, exactly. And we wouldn't have... And then the gene myth, and that it's heritable, like that schizophrenia is heritable. And it creates fear. It creates expectations. So people... It's, it's, it's environmental. We have to look at our society. We have to move it away from looking at the individual that you have to there's something wrong with your brain and your chemicals and your genes to what's going on in your life, what's the circum- What's the environment, what's the impact of the environment on you.
0: Because you're not broken.
1: Exactly. You're, you're sure, you're going to have an impact because the mind uses the brain, so the brain does get damaged like that, but you can undo the damage. You can rewire that damage.
0: Yeah. Billions have been made. Ser- selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and not to mention all the other medications oh used gosh, to treat a Oh gosh, antipsychotics,
1: the damage they do to the brain in the long term. I'm a term. big
0: results person. Look at where we are. Has it worked?
1: No, not at all. The research is conclusive that we are worse off now than we have ever been when it comes to mental health. That every single if you what's been done now is groups of scientists are pulling all these studies of the different um, psychotropics, which is the, is um, antidepressants, antipsychotics, anti-anxiety meds, and ritalin, even as stimulants. Even their names are wrong. They say anti as though they're fixing something like an antibiotic. Directly targets a um, pathogen, so it's a disease base. But an anti antidepressant uh, anti, um, does not target a disease base. It's not specific to a disease. It's simply it's the, it, because there isn't a disease foundation. It's simply creating a psychoactive effect in the brain, like cocaine or any of the street drugs. Even the ketamines and all these things, they're not fixing anything in the brain. And that's the the big lie that's been told. You know, this is actually called medical battery. And there's a whole group of scientists that are working on this because they're pulling all these studies. And they are showing all the, all the data that was not revealed to the public. And that it wasn't actually significantly effective. And how they played with the numbers to create these so-called significant effects of the drugs. They're not there. They don't exist
0: you've also shared something so powerful, which is the fact that our thoughts can actually, negative thinking, chronic negative thinking in particular, can create brain damage. And I've got to mention this point, this ties back to something you mentioned earlier about polypharmacy. We'll put this study up for everybody to see as well. This was published recently, and this was published in BMC Medicine, and it was the relation of severe COVID-19 to polypharmacy and prescribing of yes. psychotic drugs.
1: There's been so many of those studies coming Increasing the up. risk
0: of yeah. infection and also the severity of disease. Exactly. Because we're not actually dealing with the, the toxicity from the, the the thoughts that are coming up, the habitual negative thoughts we're not processing.
1: Exactly. And I'm so glad you brought that study up. And I'm so glad you brought this comment, this, that comment. Concept up because these toxic issues, if we don't process them, and by listening to the non-conscious and the signals and everything we've been saying, you you get an immune response immediately to a toxic thought that's exactly the same as, for example, the COVID virus. So we all understand when that COVID virus, if it if it gets in your in your in your brain through the to your nose through the epithelium into your brain um, it doesn't go directly into the brain but it sits on the in the um, in the olfactory lobe of the um, in the inside the brain but it affects it okay and then it affects our body now we know immediately that's a pathogen so we know that the immune system immediately sends out immune factors and what does it do it goes and sends out the immune factors to create and I'm gonna do this very simplistically inflammation in the area where there is a potential threat to your life so wherever there's a threat the immune system sends out Soldiers, they build camp literally around that source, and they, the inflammation is pro-inflammatory. It's healthy. I mean, you know all this. I'm just explaining something. So we get this. Everyone kind of knows this. Then when the pathogen is controlled, then that you get the anti-inflammatory response. So then the immune, then the, the immune system builds a memory, so that next time when that that particular if it comes back, your immune system knows how to respond more effectively, which is what we're trying to do with viruses and um, the, the, the um, vaccines and things like that. So. We all get that. But do you know that you get the exact same thing with a toxic thought? So let's say that you haven't dealt with a trauma. Let's say that there's someone in your office that's driving you crazy. Let's say you've got a relationship issue. You're not resolving something between you and a partner. Let's say that you have got this constant nagging situation that's happening in your life that you, you've you got this constant intrusive thought that keeps coming up. And intrusive thoughts, by the way, are your best friend because they contain the information that will give you control back of your life. But if you're not dealing with those, those things are getting the same immunity response so in other words your brain's immune system and your body's immune system do not know the difference between whether it's the covid virus or whether it's that toxic argument you just keep on having with your husband or your wife or your partner or your boss or whatever they are this they see them the same way because that experience you're having is a physical thought made of proteins it is a change in every cell of your body as is that pathogen that's our the COVID virus, its little hooks, it's a real physical thing. As physical as, as that thing is, is is, uh, is how physical or toxic thoughts are. I mean, and we can change that. And the hope is, is the beauty of this whole thing is okay, well, if I don't take drugs, then what do I do? And if I don't, my diagnosis made me feel more comfortable. The drugs helped me. These are, I know this is what's going through some of the viewers' and listeners' heads. And yes, for a moment in an acute situation, you've just gone through a terrible trauma, maybe to numb your emotions for 24 hours or 48 hours, or maybe as you need in the first couple of weeks of a trauma. That's understandable. It's like you're taking ibuprofen for a bad headache. You, you're not going to live on the ibuprofen. You're going to take it in the moment. But you can't. your body can't sustain taking ibuprofen in the long term. You're you will have problems with all different parts of your body. By the same token, we need to, to address that with how we're managing our emotions and, and how we're managing our thoughts and the emotions and behaviors and things that they generate. We need to recognize that we have to actually process them and not just to push them down and suppress them. So the medication is not treating the problem, and that's what people have been led to believe. So the hope is that because our change, brain is always changing. If we embrace that pain and go through a process of of, re, of processing and reconceptualizing, deconstructing, reconstructing, working out the why this has happened, what can I do? That painful process, which happens in cycles of 63 days, I've even worked out the timing of how this mind-brain-body connection goes. We then can allow our immune responses of our bodies to also get healthy. So there's tremendous hope. You're not... Sitting with depression as a genetic disease for the rest of your life and thinking, that's it. Do you know how many people, Sean, say to me, oh gosh, my mom had it, my dad had it, this had it, so I just thought that this is, I just had this conversation with someone the other day. They just thought, well, I'm feeling depressed and I come from a family and they're all crazy and... And so I thought, what's the hope? And and just kind of this person just wanted to lie on the couch and give up on life and then saw their child battling. And I said, no, that's not the situation. And I mean, they'd gone through the system that I've been training them. But essentially what they said was that they didn't realize that there was hope. They didn't realize that this is not genetic. It's environmental. I'm seeing my parent go through this my environment is maybe poverty-stricken, socioeconomic, trauma, whatever. So the combination of the environment and the epigenetic factors of seeing your parents go through it, et cetera, activates that response. And so it's not a genetic thing. It's epigenetic, which means it's environmental. It's the environment that's influencing. You've interviewed Bruce Lipton, I think, so you understand epigenetics great on epigenetics explanations um, and so it's the environment that's that's affecting us so if we can remove that and say okay it's your context of your life that's your narrative that's your story how can we change it so there's hope because you can change your brain your brain is never the same so to show someone a spec scan and say this is psychotic depression you have this disease is a terrible thing to say to someone because it makes you think oh my gosh my brain what hope is there and the research shows, and Joanna Moncrief and I talk about this in one of my interviews, that the research shows that if you think that if you get given a diagnosis, your initial response is positive. Oh, that's why I'm like this. But then it's, it, it swaps very quickly, and that person's ability to heal reduces dramatically because they lose their hope. Now what? It's an empty gift. It seems like a gift, but you opened up. Now what? And that's what we don't want to have. I want to give people full gifts, filled with the gift of life and success and internal peace, etc.
0: Yeah, that's what your work is all about, you know, including your amazing book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which people need to get a copy like yesterday. And of course, you can pick it up anywhere that books are sold. And your podcast by the same name, Cleaning yes. Up Your Mental Mess, one of the top podcasts in the country as well. And, you know, today we're really dissecting the core issue here and really bringing it up, kind of springing up a new thought tree for folks and putting a the healthy power- healthy one. A healthy one and putting the power into your hands to change because also one of the last things you just said is that it's it's so malleable like these are things that can change so quickly Mm. it's just about time to get to work especially right now exactly and you know i'm so grateful for you and can you let everybody know where they can follow you and of course mention the name of your podcast and books again.
1: Thank you, thank you, Sean. uh, We, you and I always have such good discussions and just the time just seems to fly by. So thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. And um, my podcast handle, all my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf. My podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And um, you can find me at drleaf.com, but they can find, once you go to Instagram, you can find, as we know, you can find me everywhere. So Dr. Caroline Leaf. And I have a new book coming out next year, Sean. I know you have one too. And it's basically helping parents to help their children clean up the mental mess. Because you can teach children as young as two and three how to manage their mind. And that's what's very powerful to know.
0: What a gift. What a gift to give our children. Yes. Can you imagine? We talked about this. Both of our next books have to do with family. It's fantastic. So we're on the same wavelength.
1: We're on the same page. We'll do another interview, both of us, with, with 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 the next lot of books.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you, Sean.
0: Awesome. Dr. Caroline Leaf, everybody. Mind management truly is at the foundation of all health management. As Dr. Leaf was detailing, even our outcomes from infectious diseases can be exacerbated by dysfunctional thinking. And for a little bit of proof, we have some new peer reviewed data on this information as well. One of these studies, this was published in the journal Brain Behavior and Immunity, demonstrated how mood disorders dramatically increase COVID 19 risk and potentially make your body's disease response equal to that of an elderly person, which as you know, was a particular demographic who was disproportionately susceptible to COVID-19. The researchers noted how mood disorders can create abnormal senescence in our T lymphocytes, dysfunction in our immune system, memory cells, and increased pro-inflammatory cytokines. She said something so remarkable that I don't want us to miss, which is wherever dysfunction and toxicity is going, whether it's From an external insult or from our own chemicals that we're producing via our thoughts, it's going to drive inflammation. Inflammation is not something negative inherently, it's a natural response of the body to bring about the conditions for healing or protecting the body from what's deemed to be an insult or an intrusion. Every single thought that we have creates correlating chemistry in our bodies. We can elicit The release of stress hormones that can drive dysfunction, but can also serve us. Stress hormones are not inherently bad in and of themselves either. These stress hormones can get produced in order to drive us to behaviors that can protect us, that can help us to be on top of our game, to get a project done, to do something that needs to get done with our family. It's not that it's all bad, but when it's being hyper released or chronically Release. that's when we can get into a place of dysfunction. Because one of the great things that I learned from Dr. Leaf is that the human body does not have a design that is nurturing or catering of toxicity. The human body is not designed to have continuous insults. The way that we're designed, our brain and our bodies do not hold up well or facilitate rampant toxicity. Yes, we are resilient and we have the capacity to process things. Our bodies are always seeking to get back to homeostasis in a state of regeneration, a state of symbiosis, a state of growth. We have a design that is conducive to balance. And so, having thoughts of constant pain and anguish and disempowerment and depression, this is creating a dysbiotic situation in the body itself. If we're talking about, of course, the microbiome, but truly just within the cells of our body itself, because Our thoughts don't even operate in isolation. Every thought that we have impacts every cell in our bodies. That's how we're designed. It can't help but be that way. But we tend to think about these things in these isolated components because that's the way that our system of health and our understanding of even anatomy, everything has become so compartmentalized. Each part of you has a different specialist who oftentimes doesn't communicate with the rest of the specialist. And so we have this situation where we don't really understand that we are one whole entity, our body and our mind are inseparable, but the mind has been pulled out of the equation in recent years, but now it's making this resurgence. Even going back to the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates said, it's more important to know what sort of person has a disease than to know what sort of disease a person has. At its core, he's talking about the power of the mind and how our perception of reality, our perception of ourselves is going to deeply impact our health outcomes. He's literally saying the father of modern medicine. He's talking about the power of the mind. And yet over time, over these centuries, the mind has been more and more pulled out of the equation and everybody is subject to what is called quote standard of care standard of care. We're not looking at the underlying mechanisms, the underlying thoughts and perceptions that have caused us to take certain actions that might have contributed to the manifestation of a disease. We're not looking at what sort of person has the disease anymore. We're just looking at the disease itself and treating the disease, treating the symptoms of that disease. And that is not real health care. That is sick care. Real health care starts from within. Truly, if we're talking about something tangible in the sphere of science, your body does the thing, your body heals the problem. It's not an outside object. It is your body's interaction with that thing that creates the result. It is always the intelligence of the body in response to what it's exposed to. Now, on a deeper level, that All change itself is truly an inside job. It starts from within. Sometimes, of course, we try to focus on the external so much and that's what makes it so difficult and what can snap us right back into our habitual patterns that maybe got us into a place where we're not getting the results that we want. It's because we're so focused on the external actions instead of focused on changing from within. And so one of the really remarkable things about Dr. Leaf's work, and I highly encourage you to check out her book, cleaning up your mental mess, she talks about the neuro cycle and being able to get in and actually change and get to the heart of where our thoughts are coming from, being able to intentionally change our minds. And our minds, coupled with our beliefs, determine our thoughts, and our thoughts determine our actions, and our actions determine our results. But what's at the core of it? At the core is the mind. The core is getting to the place where we're changing our beliefs. And so just giving you a snippet of the neurocycle. cycle, number one is the gather. This is going within, this is gathering information. This is being able to have some introspection, right? The tenant is to know thyself. This ancient tenant, know thyself. And we just did an episode really dedicated to reprogramming our mind. And so we'll put that for you in the show notes. Or of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, you could check that out right after this episode, we'll put it up for you. But the bottom line is this, we have the ability to look within and that's really where the answers are going to be. Because within ourselves, we know the cause and cure of the issue already. We know the answers, but oftentimes we're so externally focused that we're looking for someone else to tell us what the truth is. But being able to have introspection, to look within, to gather information We have to take time to stop being distracted and to spend some quality time with ourselves. All right. Some QT with ourselves. All right. Getting to know yourself. How is that not the most important relationship in our reality? Right. We're so focused on external relationships, which are incredibly important, but there's So much that lives within us, spirit that lives within us, and to commune with that, it is one of the most powerful things that we could do. But how often are we doing that in our lives today? Is it an accident that our attention is being so pulled in all these different directions that we're so distracted? It's not an accident at all that we couple that with the society that has the highest rate of chronic diseases ever seen before in human history. With all of our advances, you would think that this wouldn't even be possible. We know so much and yet our health is so tragic. That story has to change and it starts by us going within. So number one is to gather, to gather intel. That's what you do before you go on the excursion or before you hit the ground with the operation, gather intel. Number two in that neurocycle is to reflect. This is where you use the inner tools that we already have that we often outsource, or we don't take advantage of. Ask questions. Utilize this instinctive elaboration, this innate program that the human mind is displaying through the brain by asking questions. The human mind is obsessed with questions, with our dominant questions. Questions are really the answer. They drive our focus. And it's one of those things that even used in popular media to keep us hooked, to keep us questioning, like, what's going to happen next? You know, at the end of that episode, they have that open loop, have you questioning things so that you go right to the next episode, right? So, instinctive elaboration, we all have a dominant question that we're asking ourselves. And for some folks, that might be, how can I make this moment more special? Or how can I be of service? Or it could be, how can I get people to like me? Or it can be, Why me? Why is my life so hard, right? So we have a dominant question that we tend to have displaying automatically. We might not even be conscious of when it's going on, but I had that dominant question of why me? When I was dealing with a diagnosed chronic incurable degenerative spinal condition, so called incurable, my habitual question, my dominant question was why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why won't somebody help me? And so, by posing that question, we innately look for the answers. So, I'm seeking, oftentimes, that non conscious mind, as Dr. Leaf articulated, is getting all this data from the environment where our subconscious and conscious can start to identify things that are deemed to be important to us because we're guiding our focus on what's getting in by our questions. So, I'm finding things to affirm why me, why. No one will help me. And it's generally going to be more negative qualities that I'm seeing and reasons why I'm unhelpable, reasons why I'm unworthy, reasons why I don't deserve to feel better. But eventually, that question shifted when I realized that I've been outsourcing my potential and my power to people who are well-meaning, who give me these diagnoses, who are telling me that I can't get better but I realized they're telling me I can't get better. I want to get better and they're telling me I can't. If I'm going to listen to them, I already know that the end of that story, that's not my lot in life. That's not the story that I'm choosing to write. And so I had to take responsibility for my life, for my health, for my story. And I asked a simple question that changed everything. What can I do to feel better? What can I do to get healthy? It changed my focus instantaneously. Now, of course, the thing is, even within that, this isn't just going to stick. There's more to the neurocycle, cycle, but this was starting the process. And so ask questions. Also, of course, answers are going to become coupled with that. And also discuss. This can be an internal discussion or this can be an external discussion with your trusted advisors. This can be people in the healthcare domain. This can be counselors. This can be trusted friendships family spiritual directors practitioners most importantly is the discussion within ourselves now we might be like i can't talk to myself that's crazy people who talk to themselves you do it all the time you do it all the time all right Christopher Williams, shout out to Christopher Williams. He had a song, hit song called I Talk to Myself because there is no one to talk to. People ask me why why I do what I do. Mm. First bar, people call me crazy. They think I'm deranged. They think I'm insane. But hey, it's that broken heart vibes. He's talking to himself, trying to process. He's trying to process the game. All right. Christopher Williams, this is shout out new Jack city soundtrack. All right. New Jack city was an era of my life. Shout out to Wesley Snipes and ice T Chris rock and also Christopher Williams was in the movie and also hit song on the soundtrack as well. But this process of discussing within ourselves, our questions, our answers, being able to discuss that's that processing piece and also External discussion as well is very valuable. Just the process of speaking and sharing, getting it out of your head and out of your lips is very cathartic on so many levels because it forces us to do this next thing, which is to consolidate and to provide clarity, to articulate something. Because our thoughts can be very fleeting and very scattered. And very seemingly sporadic. And we might not be able to catch them and to really understand them. Right? We'll have feelings attached. It can just seem like a lot of chaos. This is number four in the neurocycle. So number one is gather, number two is reflect. Number three is to write down the data that you're extracting, right? Write it down. This adds clarity and helps to consolidate these things. There's something really powerful, seemingly magical about spelling, casting a spell, spelling it out. There's something really magical about that process because it's providing consolidation and clarity. It's making you vocalize and give some personification to these things that are going on in your mind. And you can look at them from more of a meta perspective. Step out. There's some detachment that takes place. It brings a layer of logic and rationality to things that can seem very log- illogical as they're rattling around in our minds. So that's another value again of discussing it too, of getting that out and discussing it with another person. Number four on the neurocycle, And again, this is really highlighted so much more in depth. I'm just touching on it here to provide a little bit more of some action steps today. But number four is to recheck. So what I said earlier is I shifted that question And instantaneously, my life changed, but it could have reverted back. I had that thought tree. The dominant thought tree was why me? That was still my reality. I laid down more myelin and firing that same thought off. That was stronger at the time, but there was so much emotion behind this new question. It created a really strong root system very quickly. But now I need to recheck. I need to reanalyze go back, let life happen and then re- retest. I didn't, I don't just got it. That's another huge mistake in our realities. We think that we just got it. We've got something figured out. Mm, you want to be an eternal student because as soon as you think you've got something figured out, something tends to happen, all right? Something tends to happen. So stay open, continue to recheck, especially in the beginning process. Keep going through these steps. And number five is, active reach. So this is the phase where we practice, we apply, and also to really level things up, this is where we teach. It's such a valuable experience. Like Really part of being a human is being able to teach our community. In particular, the younger community, right? To be able to pass on wisdom. But also teaching, there's a sentiment of teaching what you want to learn. Right, so being able to share your experience, what you've discovered and to provide some insight. It might be insight into what not to do, right? Success leaves clues, but so does failure, right? But also you will know, especially once you see the episode when we talk about eight ways to reprogram your thinking, failure is a misnomer. Because the only way that you truly fail at a thing is if you don't learn something from it. It's an opportunity to learn, to adjust and to keep moving forward, all right? So practice, apply, and teach, all right? So again, she goes much more in depth into the neuro cycle in her wonderful book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. I truly hope that you got a lot of value out of this episode. Please share this out with your friends and family. And of course, make sure that you are subscribed to the Model Health channel, all right, on YouTube. Make sure that you're subscribed, of course, on the podcast medium, the audio platform, but subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got some exclusive YouTube content that we're gonna be sharing very, very soon. So you don't wanna miss a thing. And also, if you're watching on the YouTube, leave a comment. Let me know what your big takeaway was from this episode. We've got some incredible episodes, some masterclasses and world-class guests coming up for you very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon.